0: We are in the middle or toward the latter end of the book of Judges in the Old Testament, our Wednesday night service going verse by verse through the Old Testament. We find ourselves in Judges 16 in the infamous story of Samson and Delilah. Uh, We are in the fourth and final chapter of Samson's life, Judges 16. Make your way to that chapter. We'll pick up where we left off. Put your finger there and... we'll eventually get there now heavenly father we always pause right before we reflect upon your word we recognize first of all that it is god inspired that that the word itself speaks for itself in saying that it is god's breathed word of life to us it doesn't have its origin in man the holy spirit writing and speaking through man Uh, penned this work for us to living alive and able to do a great work in our hearts and lives as we open in faith to receive it, and that we do tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, Benjamin Franklin was seven years old, a relative gave him some coins, small change. Later, he saw another boy playing with a really cool whistle, And young Ben gave the boy all his money for it. And he played with the whistle. He loved that whistle. He blew it everywhere, all over the house and everywhere he went. He just loved that little whistle, Uh, until the day that he discovered that he paid four times what the whistle was worth. Instantly, the whistle lost its charm. It was fun, but not that much fun. There's nothing worse than the sting of realizing you've been ripped off. Now, the incident uh, created a byword in Ben's young life that he used all the way growing up. And when he saw, for example, a man neglecting his family to get ahead or to uh, run for office, or, or a miser who was giving up relationships for the sake of getting wealthy, uh, he would say, he pays too much for his whistle. And so all through his life, whenever he was tempted to or saw someone else making a bad trade, giving away too much for something not worth that kind of cost, he'd think of that whistle and smile. So it was kind of a little phrase that he used to help him through life. Now, The world offers all kinds of whistles, and the devil has a fine assortment that he would gladly sell you, but just so you know, he charges astronomical amounts for those whistles, for those little amusements, more than you'd like to pay. Pastor Alan Carr was writing on this subject. He said, fish are hooked because they are attracted to something that looks like food and would make a good meal only to become food themselves. Uh, Do not be fooled. The world offers you whistles that are not worth the price, he writes. Well, now it's time for the tragic end of a man who paid too much for his whistle, spiritually speaking, Samson. Samson traded everything. He lost his power his position and his testimony as a man of God because he traded the temporary pleasures of sin for obedience and faithfulness to God. He, as we'll see tonight, pays the ultimate price. So the context to bring you up to chapter 16, as I mentioned, it's the fourth and final chapter uh, in uh, this long narrative about Samson. he is the divinely called and, and supposedly a man who would be raised up to become the judge of Israel before the time of the kings and judge just meaning rescuer. And uh, right now, the Israelites are are laboring under the cruel oppression of the Philistines uh, under 40 years of ruthless, uh, uh, oppressive occupation. Now, Samson knows the Lord. Uh, he's a saved man with an immature faith that never grows up, and he's the classic picture of the First Corinthians chapter three, verses ten through fifteen, kind of person who winds up in heaven, a compromised believer, and it says. They will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And so we do have referenced in Scripture the idea that not everybody gets the same kinds of reward in the life to come who have in this life received Christ Jesus that according to our faithfulness. And stewardship, there will be differing degrees of reward and stewardship and uh, given responsibilities. And so uh, Samson's the kind of guy who will stand there, he will be present, but not with a lot to show for it because of the way he, um, his poor decisions in life. So tonight's fall from grace for Samson isn't a one-time slip-up, it's a culmination As it usually is of a lifetime of many years of cutting corners, pushing the envelope, seeing how far to the edge I can go without falling over, taking advantage of God's good grace and God's long suffering and despising spiritual correction and discipline. Instead of restraining himself and keeping his vows to God, he's careless and whimsical and arrogant and self-indulgent. And uh, instead of saving, for example, the, the, the Israelites from the Philistines, he's after their women all the time. This guy uh, just... Uh, doesn't have his uh, spiritual head screwed on to his shoulders. And to the sexually immoral man who lacks restraint, the Proverbs say in chapter 5, at the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart refused correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. And here, verse 14, I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Tonight, we're going to see that word, unfortunately, fulfilled completely because of uh, Samson's lack of self-control. And God has put uh, barrier after barrier in front of this man. He keeps jumping them and jumping them. He tries to correct him over and over again, but he will not be corrected. He goes straight forward. And the Proverbs also say that somebody who senses danger and keeps on going suffers the consequences for doing that. So, we're going to hear uh, about just that. Chapter 15 closed out after several back and forth bloody skirmishes between Samson and the Philistines over really personal vendettas. The last battle on Jawbone Hill, named because he used the Jawbone to take out a thousand bad guy Philistines. Uh, he was slaughtering them, writing poems about it, living dangerously, and after that last battle, just to finish up chapter 15, because we left a little bit there, the close of 15 just showed that Samson's now exhausted after slinging that jawbone. He's dying of thirst. He cries out to God uh, for water. There's no water around, and God miraculously opens up um, a hollow place in a rock, and out comes springs of water, and he is revived. And so in of this man's compromise, uh, we see God's faithfulness and grace uh, to suffer long with him. Warren Wearsby said, too bad he, Samson didn't ask for guidance and wisdom and strength to resist temptation instead of pleading for a little water. Um, and his whole life might have been changed. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Now, 20 years has gone by without a lot of incident. He's, reign- he's not reigning, he's ruling, he's, he's the judge of Israel. Twenty years have passed since Jawbone Hill. All right? Verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron." Now, Roman numeral number one, prone to wander. Now, After 20 years without an incident, he has undealt with sin issues. Because 20 years before, you know, he wandered into uh, Philistine territory and fell head over heels in lust over a Philistine woman, and he hasn't learned that lesson. And though when you do not deal with your, your spiritual weaknesses, 20 years can go by. And if it's undealt, it can pop up in just a moment. And here he goes wandering back into Gaza. What is a man of God doing in Gaza? I mean, you're not supposed to be there. It's the capital of Philistia. And uh, you know what? The beginning of Samson's problems are he goes down the wrong path to begin with. Half of the battle is not starting down the wrong path. By minimizing uh, the object of temptation and and contact with it, by not going down the path, you're doing a preemptive strike. But he doesn't know anything about that. It all begins on the wrong path. So he heads down there. Proverbs 7 says, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. Why would you go down the street toward that direction? Why would you head near it? All through the Proverbs, it's like stay off of that path. Stay on the straight and narrow path. Proverbs 5 verse 8, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near to the door of her house. And so David is in the wrong place. (laughs) on the roof of the palace when he should be off fighting wars. Uh, the, the spiritual application here is don't, why put yourself in a place of compromise? Why start down that path when you know very well what could happen if you go on that path? If you're not on the path, if you don't get to step A, you're never going to get to step B. So why even start to go down that path? Why embrace the thought? Why start the conversation? Why begin the relationship if you already know it's wrong? And this could lead to your compromise. Don't take step number one. You'll never get to the step that destroys. Uh, Logically speaking, if you're an alcoholic, you know, don't take a job in a bar. don't go to the party. If you have a sweet tooth and you're trying to eat right, you don't go to the candy store. You know, you don't even go near it. Why, if you go near it, you just say, trying to fool yourself. I'm not really going to the candy store. I'm going to the mall and I'm going to get a haircut. You know, not me, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not really going to the, to, to the candy store and all of this, but just stay away from the whole area. And then it'll never happen. (laughs) If you want to stay pure with your girl, Christian man, then don't go parking at night or stay up late until 12 midnight in your house, two of you alone. That's called going down the wrong path. That's going to Gaza. Why are you going to Gaza? And so where's your Gaza? I just have to ask you. Everybody has a Gaza. There are multiple uh, kinds of Gazas. Anyway, verses 2 and 3, Samson is surrounded. When you go down the wrong road, don't be so surprised when suddenly you get into a lot of trouble. And suddenly you're surrounded, and that's the case in verses rather 2 and 3. Now, how did everybody know, how did all the bad guys know that he's in there with a prostitute? Aren't you supposed to be kind of secretive about that kind of thing, you, you know, kind of clandestine? You know, you, you, you don't go in. But unless, of course, you're Samson, and you're arrogant, and you're cocky, and brazen about it. And so everybody finds out. And so they have word gets out. The, ba- the guy who's caused us so much trouble lit up all of our grain, the orchards, the olive groves, charred black. He's in that house. Let's surround it. So they do. And apparently, it's near the city gate. And so they're all, they kind of say, hey, you know, why do it in the middle of the night? Let's just wait until dawn. He'll get up. He'll come out. We'll kill him. So he catches on, maybe gets up to get a drink of water, looks out the window, and goes, uh-oh. <laughs> and he walks out. And he's like, please. You know, so he, it's locked shut. He tears the whole thing apart, lifts it up on his shoulders. He's Samson. He can do this. And he carries it up on a hill. Now, what is he doing there? You know, in Jewish thought... Uh, to possess the gates of your enemy means to defeat them militarily. Do you remember back in Genesis 26 when Rebekah is setting off with Isaac to be his uh, wife? The family gathers around her and blesses her and says, Oh, sister, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. So he's not just... Playing around here, he's he's sending them a message. He's doing another riddle thing. So in the morning, when the townspeople come and they say, "Where's the gate? Where's the gate of our town?" They have to say, "Well, Samson has them. He's possessing them. He has our gates over there. He's up on the hill and he's doing this. I got your gates, you know." This is the kind of guy he is. So uh, I like what David Guzik says. Look, despite his sin, God still gave Samson supernatural strength to escape the enemy. God did this because God's purpose is bigger than Samson himself. And because God used Samson despite Samson's sin, not because of it. So please don't mistake, as we've mentioned before, uh, God's patience. And his kindness toward you in that while you are doing heinous, rebellious rebellious sinning, you're still being blessed. The deal comes through. You get you escape bankruptcy, uh, whatever happens to you. You uh, good things are happening and God is actually using you in between your rebellion Oh, don't pat yourself on the back and think, oh, everything's hunky-dory, because that's how God is. His gifts and his callings are irrevocable. He doesn't just pull back like this. I mean, there comes a day when the paddle will come down, as we see, but uh, today's not the day. God's going to be kind to him, and maybe that deludes him into thinking, because his thinking is kind of warped, and so... You know, and I love what one writer said. Instead of mocking his enemy up on the hill with the gates, he could have been reconciling with God. He might have seen their presence as a need to get right with God. Instead, he presumed once again on God's grace and just dodges the bullet without a thought toward God or his dependence upon God. Verses 4 and 5 now. What Samson sows in... Gaza he will reap in Sorek, which is Delilah's hometown. Four and five. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman and, and, and really fell in love. The idea there is head over heels uh, lustful. You know, he's not going to marry her, and in, in, yeah. It just says, oh, he fell in love, and all the ladies are like, oh, no. It's not that kind of love. He, anyway. He's obsessed with this haughty Philistine, all right? That's what's going on here in the Valley of His name is Delilah. Uh, The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See, if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, Five. Thousand dollars. Roman numeral number two, fatal attractions. So now the thing that Samson gives himself to will be his undoing. He's back in enemy territory again, wrong town, wrong girl, wrong motives, wrong choice, and he didn't guard his heart. And now he's all wrapped up in this Philistine cutie and uh, it's all going down the wrong path. The thing. The Bible always says this: the thing that you devote yourself to that's immoral and wrong and out of God's will for your life will always do your love and devotion for that thing that thing turns on you like a Frankenstein and becomes the thing that undoes you. Whitney Houston gave herself she enjoyed it she bought them, she took them. And they turned around and killed her. That's how sin is. It's a a wicked, wicked taskmaster. A pastor I like to read began a sermon with a very honest illustration. I'm just going to read from his text. A few years ago, we spent our family summer vacation in Lake Tahoe. Uh, One evening, following a relaxed day at the beach, my seven-year-old son and I were sitting at dinner. Everyone else had finished and left the table. He began to kind of squirm and say something to me, but he was having difficulty expressing himself. With his head bowed, he was nervously playing with his food. Oh, good, I thought to myself. He's going to ask me something with spiritual implications. At last, he gathered himself and said, Dad, when we were down at the beach today, why were you looking at that woman so much? I almost gagged on my hot dog I was eating. Oh, oh, I said in full retreat. I just like to watch people to see if I can figure them out. I couldn't tell if he could see how red my face was. I think he was young enough to buy what I said so much for that teachable moment. It was intended not for my son, but for me. And that which is obvious to a child certainly cannot be hidden from a God who watches over our path and knows all our vain imaginings of our heart." So yes, Samson's God sees what Samson's up to, and so does Samson's enemies, and he knows. What's going They know what's going on. And so they see him with his head turning and his eyes. And the whole thing is obvious, not to Samson, but to everybody watching. And so he, they go to her. And instead of the first woman, remember back when they threatened her life, the fellow Philistine girl will burn you in your father's house while you're in it alive. If you don't get something out of him, the answer to the riddle. This time they say, you know, not only will you be the hottest girl in town, but you'll be the wealthiest. We'll give you 5000 bucks to entice the answer out of him, to seduce him, to tell you to entrap him. So no wonder she went right to work. Verses 6 through 14. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her if anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs, and now that word in the Hebrew is uh, animal intestines, which were fresh, and they were used as bindings. And so he's using that word, and he's saying, uh, seven of those not dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easy as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Okay, round two, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Excuse me, what are you doing to him? But okay. Let me hold myself back here. You've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Now come on, tell me how you can be tied. He said, "Okay. If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other guy." So Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to them, called to him rather, "Samson, the Philistines are upon you." But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, Until now, you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, it's time to sing my song again. The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from the sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with, it, uh, with the fabric. So Roman numeral number three, playing with fire. Samson clearly knows what's going on. How could you not? Instead of reversing course, though, and calling out to God, he's going to play around with it. Uh, you know, he could be saying, been here, done this. Uh, maybe he is. He's saying, been here, done this. God, i been gotten away with this a long time ago. And so, you know, he he's gonna play games. It's time for riddles again. You know, whose line is it anyway? So let's let's play that game. Let's let's play walk on the coals and see if we don't get burned, you know. But in context of sexual sin, Proverbs 6 says, Can a man scoot fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who's sexually immoral. You cannot commit fornication and remain unpunished. Play with sexual sin. It is tantamount to playing with fire. You will get burned every time. But listen, he's playing a game. Okay, seven seven, uh, sausage casings. You know, make sure they're moist and fresh. And that's the answer, seven of them. Oh, uh, OK, seven new ropes. They can not never have been used, all right? Uh, OK, and then, you know, Say, see these braids? If you weave them with a certain fabric into the loom, the horizontal loom, and and, and secure it with a pin into the loom, and my hair is stuck in the loom, uh, that's it for me right there. I'm just playing all of these games, but you'll notice a few things here. Um, that he's going to uh, be going closer and closer to the real answer isn't he now suddenly we're talking about the hair which is connected to the nazarite vow which is connected to the god who's supplying him the strength we're getting closer and closer and closer now what gets me and what caused me to kind of break out of the passage there is is that he knows at least after round one, that she's bent on destroying him, right? The guys are in the room. He's given the answer, uh, seven casings, and then By coincidence, he finds seven casings (laughs) wrapped around him and guys who happen to be under his bed and in the bathroom and jumping out. What a coincidence. (laughs) You you know, just right after he told Delilah, seven of those casings. No, And he's playing the game still. He doesn't say, "Uh, you know what, I'm not coming back here. But he comes back again and she's nagging him and 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 what's crazy is she's saying you're making a fool out of me here I am trying to set you up to kill you and 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 you're not giving me the right information. Uh, Every time you escape after I betray you, I'm humiliated. What kind of hired assassin do you think I am? Everybody's looking at me like, oh, wow. What kind of uh, uh, villainous are you? You know, you're making me look terrible. I look like Cinderella here. I don't know. What my problem is, is how stupid sin can make you it makes you stupid and insane to do things like that and to accept it he doesn't get it he's all brawn but he's lacking in the brain department the light is on but nobody's home once again it's a wednesday night (laughs) winner all right notice um anyway when we play games, one writer says, with sin, deception comes upon us gradually. We think we'll be able to stop it before we fall over, but more often than not, things get out of hand and move so quickly, we go tumbling off the edge. And so in round three, verse 13, he's divulged the right subject. It's the hair, the vow, my God, um, and, and, you know, get it in the shuttle. It's called a shuttle. Well, I'm going to tell you a riveting testimony that I heard a pastor give once. He said he was toying around with sin, really a dark time in his life as a pastor, with sexual sin and immorality. He read this in his morning devotions, this very passage, and he got stuck on round three with the shuttle, the loom thing. And he didn't understand the pin and the, and the loom and well, what, what is that? So he went to a commentary. And the commentary described the whole thing and it kept using the word shuttle. And he just found that funny, that it was like a shuttle. What is a shuttle? He just pictured like an airporter shuttle. But it stuck in his head. So an hour later, his wife gets up, and they have coffee, and she pauses in the conversation and she looks at him troubled and says, I got this word going around in my head over and over and over again, shuttle, shuttle, shuttle. And he said, I, he just panicked, he broke out into a sweat and was just staring at her. Why is his wife saying he just had his commentary open and was seeking to himself, shuttle, that's funny. It was strike three it was right on the edge and he felt like the holy spirit was saying that's exactly where you are you are right on the edge there is one more shot you failed that this shot you're done You're, you're you're ready to be ruined and that really impacted his life that his wife would just stop the conversation and say shuttle 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 god is so merciful to all of us with all of our gazes, whatever our thing happens to be. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to everyone. God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That pastor had a way out, a breather. God Almighty just spoke to me, just told me through my wife, man, you're, on, you're right at the end of this. No more playing around or boom. God always provides a way, but he can't make you take the escape. But he says, I promise you with every temptation that is common to everybody, with the temptation, every single time, 24-7, never fail, there will be a door for you to run and flee. He will guarantee that that door will always be there, but he cannot and will not violate your free volition and force you through the door. And some guys take it, some gals take it and others do not, Samson said, yeah, whatever. 15 through 22. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? All the women kind of chuckled. Uh, They just, never mind, I'm not getting in trouble tonight. This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day after day after day after day (laughs) day. until he was tired to death. It means in the Hebrew, he was ready to die from the nagging. Wow. 5,000 bucks is on the line for her, all right? Apparently, that's a lot of money for her. 17, so he told her everything. No razor's ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaven, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back one more time. He told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called Samson. The Philistines, they're upon you again. He awoke from the sleep and thought, I'll go out as I did before, shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Roman numeral number four, uh, mission accomplished. So the temptress, after incessant nagging and accusations of his deceit and him not truly loving her, uh, Samson caves in and just opens up his heart and says, it's all about the vow. It's just a symbol. It's a symbol of my relationship with God. If that were broken or severed in fellowship, then I'd be like everybody else. And so in verse 18, she says, well, allow us to help you get there all the way. So she sends word to the Philistine leaders. He's told me everything. Come on back and don't forget the check. And so she goes and prepares some warm, hot cocoa. Gets a little harp music on Pandora going. <laughs> she says, honey, dear, you need a scalp massage. Come on. Drink the cocoa, listen to the music, and let me just give you a scalp massage. You on you know, your knees right before me, right there. Just put your head right in my lap. And just listen to that music. Isn't it wonderful? Just being free and telling labor, uh, get that all off of your chest like that. Just go to sleep. I've got a song. My mama used to sing to me when I needed to go. To- OK, I'll stop here. <laughs> I'm just getting into it. It's like a picture in my head, you know? So while he's sawing logs, the barbers at work snip. There one. Get the second one. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. One more. Five thousand bucks. Snap. Fellowship. Holy Spirit. Gone. Lifted. Force field. Turned off. That's how I picture it, sorry. Then comes Delilah's sing-song taunt that I can hear her singing. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And what a rude awakening, verse 20. Oh, not this dumb game again. Do these goofballs ever learn anything? He's yawning, bored. So he flexes, nothing. A deep breath, he tries again, nothing. Then he says, in Hebrew, "Uh uh-oh. He thought he dodged the bullet like all the other times, but he hadn't realized God was done. Done. Line in the sand, you crossed it. Done. No more. Game over. The Lord left him in the sense that he withdrew his presence and withheld his power. He did not leave Samson in an eternal spiritual way, as we will see right away, his hair starts growing, kind of a hint to all God's people. uh, God's grace is still with him, and though he has fallen, you cannot stop God's grace in the heart of a true believer, whether he be fallen or no. After he falls, it's going to start working again because he belongs ultimately to the Lord. God just removed that special gift. Now, You know, when Peter's on the water, he's not really sinning, but he has a disruption in his fellowship with the Lord because he's doubting and he's distracted. And because of that fellowship, he is now unable to do uh, what he couldn't do without God's help, to do the supernatural and so this is just what happens. God gets to a place where He says, "You know what? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna let you sink a little bit, Peter, so that you can understand how important tight fellowship with Me is." The first notice the physical consequences that they parallel the spiritual condition. Number one, they blind him. But you know what? <laughs> he was already blind. He's walked in darkness for years. He likes the darkness. He's comfortable there. And God shows him the light. He keeps going dark, dark, dark. So God says, OK, now you've got what you wanted permanently. And it's going to help you with pretty girls, too. Because you're not going to be able to do your thing. Oh, and don't think that he won't be able to lust with no eyes, because a man can lust, period. He's able to do that, unfortunately. But he's in the dark. Uh, Secondly, um, they bind him, but he's been bound. Jesus said in John 8, 34, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Uh, Jesus came to set us free from that kind of oppression, to open doors and set us captives free. and It's all about being free from sin. And they put him to work in a prison grinding. So thirdly, he's grinding. And so sermons, you can always find a sermon on the three dynamics and consequences of sin. It blinds you, it binds you, and grinds you. Huh. I throw that out there for free. All right, so they put him to work as an animal. The donkeys and the oxen used to uh, pull the circular millstone around to grind their grain in the prison. And the word to subdue, that they want to subdue him, when they say, let us tie him up and subdue him, it means to utilize him. They're done with the idea of killing him. They're like, this is a guy, look what he could do for us. So let's put him to work in the prison. You know, he's not going to be making license plates, but he's going to be putting out some uh, grain for us over there. And so, by the way, they make license plates in prisons. Just, they're going to fill you in there so you're not driving home wondering what that remark was all about. OK, moving on. Are you still out there? Are you awake? Everybody's following me. I got like one more page. Then we will go home, put on our jammies. It'll all be OK. He's shackled like an animal because he lived like an animal, all right? Live like an animal, die like one. That's really the mantra here. Live like a beast, ruled by your hormones and your natural instinct and your lower passions, and then you will end up dying like one. That's sad. Let's finish up the chapter, make a few comments now. But the hair on his head begins to grow after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. That's the most painful part for me. Verse 24, when the people saw him. They praise their God, lowercase g, saying our lowercase g God, our fake false demon God, has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And so they're, they're writing a poem, too. It's like Samson writes poems. We're going to write a poem. Uh, While they were in high spirits drunk out of their minds, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they, stood, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant boy who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I might lean against them. <laughs> Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just one more time, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived Then his brother's and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtahol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. So last point, Roman numeral number five, hope springs eternal, God of second chances. There are horrible consequences to Samson's fall from grace, but here, again, we're going to see God's unfailing love comes shining through. It's not over till your last breath. Ask the thief on the cross uh, whom you will meet one day if you are saved in this life. But it's bittersweet, isn't it? God is going to forgive Samson and restore his strength unbeknownst to the Philistines. Verse 24 is the worst part is that they have a party and praise in their pagan temple, the God of Dagon, their God. So they see this as a win for Dagon. Dagon delivered Samson to them. He beat their Samson's God, the God of Israel. And they're drinking and partying in the temple, praising him. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminds me of when a, a famous pastor of a ministry falls and disgraces himself and the atheists say, oh, look at this. And the late night comedians all have fodder for their big jokes about these righteous, holy men and ministries turn out to be hypocrites. Paul writes about hypocritical Christians in Roman chapter 2. Two, He says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so that's really a sad, sad part. But another really horrendous detail is Samson is forced to entertain the drunken pagans in the temple. They get drunk and they're all cursing and blaspheming and they say, bring out that goof. And he entertains, but nobody really knows what he's doing. Sometimes the suggestions are terrible. If you picture him coming out, man of God, Samson, uh, with uh, Jesus Christ appearing to his mother and father and saying, this kid has got potential and gifting and calling. He's going to be a great man, potentially in my plan. And here he is coming out shackled and his eyes missing. And he is entertaining them. What is he doing? Is he telling some of his riddles? Some commentators think. Tell us a riddle. So he t- makes, he's making up riddles. or We'll kill you. And so he's like, uh, you know, did you see me dance too? I mean, it, it's horrendous to think of the ridicule and the mockery. You know, what was he doing? Maybe he just blew the whistle that he bought for too much money. Yeah. That's what he was doing. He was reaping the consequences. Here's your price. Here's what you wanted all your life. Here's the payment. You're the butt of their jokes. You're entertaining them in their temple with no eyes. It's terrible awful. So verse 27 and following, God's had enough of the drunken party. He's had enough of the denigration of his servant, Samson. He wants Samson to come home now. Samson has learned his lesson. As Samson senses, he's near support pillars. He says, boy, kid, tell me, where are the pillars? Let me just lean on them. I'm just a little tired here. So the kid says, oh, they're right here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Here they are. And what does he do? He says this beautiful prayer. Sovereign God, you you are sovereign. You are Lord. I am nothing. I am nobody. But I'm just asking for mercy. Look what they did to me. Come on, just one more time, God. Just give give me one more chance. And he starts to feel it. There's a little bit of a warming in his heart. like, Like the old days. And he's like, are you kidding me? It's going to happen. He says, oh, well, I'm going to probably die, too. But let me die with them. And he pushes with all the strength. And God comes through for that kid that always moves me. God just coming through for you when you so don't deserve it. God takes mercy. Samson gets the last laugh. Not that it lasted very long, but he does get the last laugh. And I, I for one, just like the look on the faces of everybody who's drinking and partying, and then suddenly the roof is caving in. I just, I'm sorry. I'm a guy. I enjoy that kind of movie. (laughs) And uh, here are some reflections from Samson's life. Number one, don't play games with God. You will lose every time. Number two. Let us guard our hearts, because from our heart, our whole life springs. May we take our lives as seriously as God takes them and live devoted to him. Number three, may my utmost effort and yours in this life be to cooperate with God so we reach our fullest potential. The last thing I want to hear when I get to heaven is, you know what? Oh, let me just give you a quick glimpse of what I had for you. I don't want to hear that. I don't want you to hear that. And if you've blown it up until this night, you've got breath in your body tonight, and apparently he wanted you to hear this, and he brought you here, and that's a sign that says, I'm not done with you. Put these truths into practice, and the hair will start growing, and the grace will come, and I've got a plan for you. And the end might be as glorious as the beginning, or more so. And finally, just very simple, walk in the light. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others the way you love yourself. And walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the sinful nature. Walk in the spirit, and you will never fulfill the passionate desires and lusts of your lower nature. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chapter. It's a long chapter with lots of stuff in it. Thank you for your grace um, to cover it all and to get the truths out that uh, will really help us live for you. Father, there's a, there's a little bit of Samson in, in me, There's a little bit of Samson in everybody who has a fallen nature. So help us learn vicariously through him. Be encouraged by your unfailing love to him, but also encouraged to reach our fullest potential by just having a little self-control and walking with you, cooperating with you. In Jesus' name, amen.